0: The 123rd chapter, Psalm 123, a song of ascents. I lift my eyes to you, to you who sit enthroned in heaven. As the eyes of slaves look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a female slave look to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he shows us his mercy. Have mercy on us, Lord, have mercy on us, for we have endured no end of contempt, we have endured no end of ridicule from the arrogant, of contempt from the proud. Let's pray. Father, we bless you as the giver of all good gifts, we bless you this morning for the gift of your word, which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We pray that you would sweeten this word in our hearts and in our lives, that together we might grow in our knowledge of you and ourselves and the world that you have made, that we might more enjoy the calling that you have given to us, and that we might honor you more along the path. Praying in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Be seated, please. Well, this is the uh, third part of a uh, series on... Prayers for Life's Journey. We're looking at eight this fall, eight of the songs of ascent from the book of Psalms. That's a collection from Psalm 120 to 134. We have looked at Psalm 121, a prayer for protection. And last week we looked at Psalm 122, a prayer for peace. And this morning we're looking at Psalm 123, a prayer for mercy. Notice again, in most of your translations, there's probably some extra white space in between verse 2 and verse 3. This poem divides naturally into two parts. And if you look at the very last word of verse 2, your translation probably has the English word mercy, till he shows us his mercy. And if you look at the very first word of verse 3, it's uh, actually the very first two words. It's probably, have mercy. Uh, Two words in English, uh, only one in Hebrew. The first paragraph, verses 1 and 2 end in Hebrew, yohoneinu. And the second starts in verse 3, choneinu. You can hear the same, it's just one word in, in Hebrew. Have mercy on us. Have mercy on us, Lord. Have mercy on us. Uh, It's nice to um, know a few things about how to read Hebrew poetry because one thing it does for you is it takes the guesswork out of what a poem is really about. I've mentioned numerous times how our English teachers taught us to vary our vocabulary and how Hebrew teachers taught their students how to repeat their vocabulary And you see right at the very center of this poem, the very end of the first paragraph, have mercy on us. The very beginning of the second paragraph, have mercy on us, Lord, have mercy on us. We don't have to wonder what this poem is about. It's a prayer for mercy. I wish we didn't need it. I wish the path from where we are to the heavenly city never had any kind of difficulties along the way. I wish it were just straight and smooth all the time. But all of you could testify to the fact that your journey up to this point has not been completely like that, has it been? There have been a lot of twists and turns and obstacles. There have been a lot of difficulties along the way. Uh, There have been places where we need the mercy of God. And uh, that's what we're going to be looking at this morning, this prayer for mercy. Not only do we need to pray for God's protection and pray for God's peace, but we all need the mercy of God uh, along the way. And so we're going to look at Psalm 123. The word mercy is actually related to the French word merci, which means thank you. Um, But that old French word... Uh, meant uh, grace, favor, pity, compassion. And so we're going to be looking really at this idea of praying for mercy this morning. And since we have that extra white space, and since we have two sections to this poem, we're going to look at two things. Uh, First of all, we're going to look at our posture uh, in prayer. That's verses 1 and 2. And then we'll look at our plea as well. First, our posture. Just two things here. Uh, I'm not really so much interested in the posture of our bodies. The Bible does picture people praying in different ways. Uh, And because we get pictures of prayer with different postures, sometimes standing, sometimes kneeling, sometimes lying prostrate on the ground, uh, different postures communicate different things, but postures are really an expression of what's going on in the heart. And so when I'm speaking of posture this morning, I'm not talking about whether we stand or whether we sit A lot of that can be culturally conditioned. If we were in a synagogue in the first century, none of us would be in the posture we're in right now. I would be sitting and you would be standing. Uh, That's the way things went back in the day. Um, The the teacher, the rabbi would sit and uh, everybody else would stand. Uh, Think of Ezra and Nehemiah. They all stood, as you do, for the reading of God's word, uh, a posture of uh, of respect. So postures can change from culture to culture. Um, uh, This in some cultures means uh, goodbye. This in some cultures means hello. Uh, So when you move from one culture to another, there are going to be differences. So we're really interested in the posture of the heart. And this text shows us two things. Our posture as we pray for mercy is one of humility. Uh, Notice all the repetition. I lift my eyes to you. As the eyes of a slave looks, as the eyes of a female slave look, I lift my eyes to you. Uh, Here the posture is one of looking up. It's one of someone who is subservient, looking up to someone who is in a superior position. And that subservient position is one of humility. People who need mercy don't pray in arrogance. People who need mercy are praying from humility. It may not be a humility that's natural to their personality. It may be a humility that has been forced upon them by their circumstances in life. But as we come to pray for mercy, uh, we come to pray with a humble heart, looking upward. We look up to the one who is enthroned, it says. Now, woodenly, it says just to the one who sits in heaven. And maybe some of your translations say to the one who sits in heaven. But the one who's sitting in heaven is the king. And kings don't sit. Kings sit enthroned. You're sitting on a chair. A king doesn't sit on a chair. A king sits on a throne. But in Hebrew, it's the exact same word. It's a kisei. But if you're sitting on it, we translate it chair. If a king's sitting on it, we translate it a throne. There's a Hebrew word by it. If you live in it, we translate it a house. If a king lives in it, we translate it a palace. If a god lives in it, we translate it a temple, but it's all the same thing. And so this is just the ordinary word for sitting, but it's not just an ordinary person who's sitting, because he's not just sitting in any ordinary place, he's sitting in heaven. And who sits in heaven? The one who is the king. The one enthroned in heaven. It brings us all the way back to Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stance against the Lord and against His anointed one. The one who sits enthroned in heaven laughs. Just keep that in mind as you have your discussion tonight about uh, Christians in culture. That there is one who sits enthroned in heaven and, and, uh, and all of the opposition against him just brings a chuckle to his face. I remember when we first moved here, uh, we moved from California and our, our kids were, this was 17 years ago, the kids were like early high school, junior high, grade school. And uh, it was a big move for them to take them out of their world. And to bring them across the country from Southern California to Florida. And so we we tried to do some things to ease the pain and the transition. And one thing we told them we'd do is is that we would buy a house with a swimming pool. And, um, you know, that wasn't all that tough to do moving from Southern California. Uh, and so we, we bought a house with a pool and one of the early Sundays after church there, you know, there are some pillars that hold the, some of the patio up. And uh, my son, Will, who was in high school, a good sized boy, he was just leaning against the pole. And there was this little kid who was doing his utmost to push Will into the swimming pool. And I can just picture that the chuckle on Will's face. That's Psalm 2. Everybody's raging against the Lord and his anointed one but the one enthroned in heaven just chuckles. That's the same one that we're dealing with in this psalm. And so we come before him with great humility. When we pray for mercy, not only have our circumstances humbled us, but we're humble because we know before whom we stand. There's a, um, there's a, a, a Jewish prayer from the prayer book, and it, and it says, No... Before whom you stand. And that brings humility into our hearts when we realize that we are coming for mercy to the one enthroned in heaven, the creator of the universe, the ruler over the universe, the one who brought about this beautiful, sunny, cool morning. The one who brings the dark clouds and the rain and the thunder and the lightning and the hurricanes, Uh, the one who's in absolute control over everything that transpires on earth and in our lives. And so when we come before him, we come humbly, humbled by our circumstances at times, but humbly because of before whom we stand. We come like slaves. As the eyes of slaves look to the hand of their master. Uh, That word Hebrew, like Spanish, has different markings on the end of words, so you know whether that word is masculine or feminine. English doesn't. We have a little bit of it left over, like host and hostess, actor, actress. But for the most part, those markers for gender are gone in our language. They have been for a long time. Uh, But this word for slaves in Hebrew is a masculine. As the eyes of male slaves look to the hand of their master. As the eyes of a female slave look to the hand of her mistress. That's humility. That's a position, perhaps with a bowed head, waiting for the master to speak. So our eyes look to the Lord our God. And so when we come in prayer, there are times when we come very humbly, humbled by our circumstances, humbled because of the one before whom we stand, humbled because we're acutely aware of our station in life in relationship to the one who is enthroned in heaven. And so as we come, we come with a posture. It's a posture of humility. And along with that, it's also a posture of patience. Something that's not always easy to exercise, especially in difficult circumstances. That's the position of a servant, of a slave. Uh, A slave has no say, ultimately, with the master's timetable. A slave can make a request but has no leverage, is not in a position to bargain, is not in a position of power, but simply has to humbly wait, has to patiently wait for the master's timing, for the master to be willing, and that's our position, patience in prayer. Uh, they say patience is a virtue. Uh, patience is a virtue that's not always easy to exercise. Uh, we live in a culture of instant gratification. Uh, it, it's a wonderful culture in many ways, isn't it? Uh, I, I happen to like listening to um, Prairie, Home news, Prairie Home Companions news at Lake Wobegon. Uh, any listeners out there? Uh, coming to, well, the show's not coming to an end, and I guess I shouldn't say Garrison Keeler's coming to an end, but Garrison Keeler's tenure is coming to an end. He's uh, retiring and he's going to be replaced on the show, but he was talking uh, this week about uh, how much, how many advantages young people have. Uh, things that uh, we didn't have growing up, and in, in particular, he was talking about the education system, but he was also talking about how quickly we have access to things. Uh, for example, he said, some of you, I see the, the room must have been dark, I see some of your smartphones on there, and some of you are probably right now looking up a word that I just used because you don't know what it means, He said, "When I was a kid, we had a a a ten pound Webster's uh, Fourth Collegiate Edition of the dictionary, and it would take you ten minutes to leaf through and find the word and all. How quickly we have we we have we can have meals. Do any of you any of you ever eat ninety second rice? I love it. It comes in this little bag, and um, and all you do is." Put it in the microwave for 90 seconds and you have this really, really good rice. Now, we also have a wonderful rice cooker. When we lived in Southern California, half of my students were Asian. And I said to one of my students that we were friends with, I said, I want to get my wife a good rice cooker. Where in San Diego do I get one? And he said, oh, you can't. He said, I'll go up to the L.A. area, and I'll bring you back a rice cooker. This was probably 25 years ago. We still use it. Our kids love it. You, just, and you, know, you make that rice in that big cooker, and it takes time to make, and then you, it goes on to warm, and it just keeps that rice moist for a day or two, and the kids just walk by and <laughs> grab a plate of rice and put some other stuff with it. But 90-second rice, you can't beat it. And that becomes our expectation, doesn't it? And so that becomes our expectation when we're praying to the Lord for mercy. We have the expectation that we have just pulled up to the uh, window at McDonald's and that our burger should be there in about 15 seconds. and, And there's probably a promise there. Every order in less than a minute or your money back. And how easily that just becomes our expectation with God. And so we can get frustrated, and we can get angry, and that's understandable. But we have to remember, again, our posture of humility has the logical entailment of a posture of patience. God has a perfect timetable. It just doesn't happen to always be our timetable. There are things that I have been praying for, for 18 years I know because I know when I started. And God hasn't answered my prayers in these regards yet, at least not fully. And I'm still praying. Sometimes it just takes patience, which is why the psalmist often says, wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. I've shared some of our family testimony, and I've shared how, I've, how the Lord has used the music of Whitney Houston in my life in such a radical way. And the one song in particular, Hold On, Help is on the Way. He may not be there when you want him to, but he'll be there right on time. Notice that it says, So our eyes look to the Lord our God, till... He shows us mercy. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Keep praying. Keep the posture. Keep the faith till he shows up and shows you mercy. Our posture, humility, and patience. Well, let's look at the last uh, two verses. Our plea. Well, This is very simple. Uh, The prayer here is not at all sophisticated. It's simply a plea for mercy. Now, mercy has, it's a two sided coin. Mercy is an attitude, it's a favorable attitude, mercy is a disposition of the heart. It's a disposition to be compassionate. And when we're praying to God for mercy, we're praying that he would look on us with a compassionate heart. As a father looks with compassion on his children. As a mother looks with compassion on her children. We're asking God for his compassion. We're humble, we're patient, we're asking him to be favorably disposed toward us. But mercy is not just a favorable attitude. Mercy is also favorable action. When we're asking God for mercy, we're not just asking that he be favorably disposed toward us, that he have, a, that he have compassionate feelings toward us. We're asking him to do something for us. We speak of deeds of mercy, don't we? Mercy as compassion in action. And when we say to God, have mercy on us, we're asking God to act for us. Notice, have mercy, O Lord, have mercy on us. Notice the psalmist here doesn't say, Have mercy on me, Lord. Have mercy on me. Nothing wrong with that prayer. It's just not the one that is before us. The one that is before us is a corporate prayer. Because the the prayers, praying together, realize that in this journey to the celestial city, they're not walking alone. Uh, I listened to the song this morning, uh, not this morning, but earlier in the week. Um, when you walk through a storm, hold your head up high and don't be afraid of the dark. Kind of a, an America Americana, almost sounds kind of Christian, not overtly. But it, it's a song that reminds us that when we walk uh, together, we walk in hope and we don't walk alone. Sometimes when we've been humbled by our circumstances, our natural inclination is to retreat. To retreat into self, to retreat into solitude. And that's when we have to really make an effort to remember that we're all together in this journey. That we don't walk alone. That we pray for one another. And and when we feel the tendency to retreat... We have to make that effort not to withdraw from the community, but to open up to the community. And conversely, when we see people in the community and we have a sense that they're beginning to retreat, oh, we have to be very delicate, we have to be very gentle, we have to be very humble, but we also have to be willing to reach out to pull those people in. Because God hasn't designed us to walk this journey alone. He's designed us to To together say, have mercy on us, O Lord. Have mercy on us. And so our, our prayer for mercy is a prayer that God would be compassionate toward us. Because when one part of the body suffers, the other part suffers along with it. And we're supporting each other. We're moving forward on this journey together as a community. We're asking God to be compassionate toward us and to act on our behalf. So it's a very simple prayer. And sometimes, this is the only thing I pray. Sometimes in life, the only thing I have been able to say because the pit has been so deep The darkness has been so thick that I have had no other words to say other than, have mercy on us, Lord. Have mercy on us. He understands. The Holy Spirit prays with you and with us, with words that cannot be spoken, but that are in sync with where our hearts are, and they get to the Father with such great efficacy And such great fervor. It's okay if the only thing you can pray. Is Lord. Have mercy on us. You don't need a seminary degree for that one. All you need is humility. Before the one who is enthroned in heaven. Just ask him. For his mercy. It's a very simple prayer. But it's also a reasoned prayer. Notice that little word. Have mercy on us, Lord. Have mercy on us. And then what's the next word? The next word is for. For. See, there's a reason. There's always a reason. We never pray for mercy for no reason. Well, Lord, I don't have anything to do today. Everything's kind of nice. So. How about if I just pray for some mercy? No. It's always a reasoned prayer. And the psalmist, as we've said, is praying for community. The reason is the community. And and the details, we just don't know. They were experiencing, experiencing contempt, and they were experiencing ridicule by the larger world around them, whoever that was. You might reflect on this again this evening in terms of where the Christian feels he or she is in our world because of convictions that we have and positions that we hold. Contempt and ridicule from the larger society. Uh, That's not new. It's what they felt. This prayer for mercy, reasoned prayer for mercy, hear the psalmist for the community. This is a theme in the Gospel of Matthew. As I jokingly say, I do read the New Testament from time to time. There were two desperate men. Prayers for mercy often come because humbling circumstances make us desperate. There were two desperate men, Matthew 9, verse 27. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, Son of David. That's all they could say. Two desperate men for themselves. Matthew 15, a desperate mother for her daughter. Matthew 15:22, a Canaanite woman. She wasn't even from the household of faith. But by God's common grace, through things like a beautiful morning, somehow she understood where mercy was to be found. And this Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to Jesus crying out, "Lord, Son of David, Have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. How many mothers know desperation with regard to their children? Whether it's emotional on the part of the child or physical or spiritual. I know that we are taught that we are not supposed to be codependent on our children. And I don't know whether you want to call it codependence or interdependence. But parents, you know that it's hard for you to be well when your kids aren't well. In whatever way. Because you are so invested in them. And that's so especially true of a mother. A mother who had that egg and sperm get together in the womb. And felt those first movements of life and brought that child into the world and nursed and nurtured that child. There is such a bond between mother and child. And when that child is in a dark place for whatever reason, in what other way, how desperate the mother is and says, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. Notice she doesn't say, Lord, son of David, have mercy on my daughter. Because her life is so bound with her daughter that she says, have mercy on me. You see, we don't walk alone. We are not isolated robots making a pilgrimage to the celestial city. We're part of a community where our lives are so powerfully intertwined with the life of another that when that other is hurting, we need the mercy of God. Oh, we need the mercy of God to show up in their lives, but it's still us who needs that mercy of God. See, it's not, we don't have to be altruistic and think, oh, the spiritual thing to do is just to pray for mercy for that other person. And neglect our own souls. This desperate mother says, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly. And so am I. Or a desperate father for his son in Matthew seventeen fifteen, Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. The mother sees a daughter suffering greatly. The father sees a son suffering greatly. And what can they do? They can't do anything in those moments but pray simply. Reasoned, but simply, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on my son. Or in the language of the psalmist, have mercy on us, Lord. Have mercy on us, For Well, let me conclude this sermon with two thoughts. One, I just want you to feel a little bit of the community that you're in. And by that, I don't mean the people who are sitting around you or who aren't here and are in your extended family. I mean the larger community, the community that not only transcends space, but transcends time. So that when you pray these simple words, have mercy on us, Lord, have mercy on us, you realize how big that us is. Listen to the words of just a few psalms. One psalmist prayed, Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. Another psalmist prayed, Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Another psalmist prayed, Have mercy and lift me up from the gates of death. Another psalmist prayed, Be merciful to me, And answer me. Another psalmist prayed, hear, Lord, and be merciful to me. Remember the hymn, God be merciful to me. How's it continue? On thy grace I set my plea. I've only read a few. The psalms are filled with this simple prayer for mercy. And what's the point? When you feel humbled by your circumstances, when you feel that need, and when you feel that desperation along the way, that all you can do is ask God for his mercy, remember that you're not walking alone. There is a cloud of witnesses that stretches from the beginning of time after the fall on to the end. Your voice goes up with the voices of so many others. We like to think we are unique. And of course, we all are unique in some ways, but not in others. And when you need to pray for mercy, you are not unique. Your circumstances may be, but your general situation is not The path to the celestial city has always had its dark places. And God's people have always had to pray this simple, humble prayer. And so I hope you find a little bit of encouragement just to know that you're not alone. Everybody in this room has felt what you have felt or are feeling or will feel. It's common to us as part of the fallen race. And one more note about our posture. It's not only humble and patient, it's also confident. Our posture is one of confidence in spite of humility. It's confidence because we know before whom we stand. And we stand not only before the one who is sovereignly in control of absolutely everything enthroned in heaven, but we stand before one who is full of kind compassion and mercy. James 5.11 says, and you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard about Job's perseverance. This is the part I love. And you have seen what the Lord finally brought about. Now, why does James say you have seen what the Lord finally brought about in Job's life? Is because he's telling you that you can have confidence that God is going to bring about that double blessing in your lives as well. Maybe not in this life, but surely in the life to come. And so he says, we count blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and seen what the Lord finally brought about in his life. So have confidence that God is going to do for you what he did for Job. And why? Can you have this confidence? Because James says simply, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And how can we be sure that he is full of compassion and mercy when we know that we have sinned and fallen short of his glory? It's because of that old Baptist hymn that I grew up with. Years I spent in vanity and pride. Caring not, my Lord was crucified. Knowing not, it was for me he died at Calvary. Mercy there was great, and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. I was 18 years old. I was high on drugs. I was sitting right about where Glenn was sitting. I hope you're not high this morning, Glenn. <laughs> and in the middle of the worship service, the Holy Spirit convicted me of my sins. I was the first long-haired, blue-jean-wearing, church-going person my congregation had ever seen They didn't know what to do with me. And in the middle of that service, I left my pew, I came down, I confessed my sins, and I walked back a different place, person. Why? Because mercy there Is great. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. It doesn't matter what kind of mercy you need whether it's mercy for your body or mercy for a relationship or mercy for the burden of sin that you're carrying or mercy for emotions, it doesn't matter. There is a fountain that flows with the healing mercy of God into your life and into mine. Jesus lived a perfect life of righteousness in your place. He died on the cross so that all of the mercy that we all need to make it safely home is ours. And that's why we can pray humbly, patiently, and with confidence. Let's pray. Father.